Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight for your wonderful goodness in our lives, for your unbelievable power that's available to every person here tonight. We thank you, Lord, that though the world is in chaos, you are not. We thank you, Lord, that though tomorrow is uncertain, you are not. We thank you, Lord, that though we might be alarmed, you are not. We thank you, Heavenly Father, tonight that you are in control. You are in control of all that goes on in the world. You allow man to do what he will for a period of time, but your will will be accomplished, your plans will come about, your purposes, they will be fulfilled. We thank you, Lord, that one day, very soon, we'll all be in your presence and we'll be able to fellowship with one another and chat for millions of years and be with you and know the intimate presence of God without being constrained to this body, without being affected by sin or the devil. We look forward to that. Heavenly Father, we know that you have a plan for each of our lives. We know that your desire is to use your bride, the church, to impact the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we ask you, Lord, that you would make us the kind of people that have an impact on others, that make an impact on others. Guide us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, I shared a couple weekends ago, I don't know if you were here, if you remember this, but <clears throat> sometimes we lose sight of the fact, this is like doing really weird things up here tonight, John. It's like, I don't know, beeping everything. Um, we lose sight of the fact of the relevancy of Christianity. And we are right now being bombarded in this country with diversity, religious diversity. And we're being told to respect and embrace all types of different religious views and all different types of spirituality. And on the outside, that may seem like a really good thing. It may seem so tolerant and so Christian and so loving. I just want to briefly remind you of the state of the world, the reason the world is the way it is, and the only solution for all of the world's problems, all of them. <clears throat> you and I are living in really unbelievable days. I, I wish I could predict uh, what to you, I wish I could predict to you <coughs> what's going to happen in the next six months. I don't know. I really don't know. People who come up to me and ask me, Mark, do you think this is the end times? I don't know. Do you think we could have global economic disaster? Yes, I do. But I, am I, do I think it's going to happen? I don't know. Do I think this sets the, say, sets the stage for the Antichrist? It sure could. But I don't know. Do you think that we're entering the tribulation period? I don't know. Maybe we're already in it. I don't know. Well, so Mark, what do you know? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I know for sure. For sure. The Bible tells us in Timothy that in the last days, there will be terrible times that come on the earth. Terrible. It's already terrible. Men and women will be lovers of self rather than God. They'll be abusive, hateful, without natural affection. The list just goes on and on and on. Everywhere you and I look in the world, we see the result of 
the human condition called sin. Everywhere. Everywhere. In every facet of life in the world, we see the breakdown of humanity. Some of you may go, Mark, do you really think, people ask you, do you really think things are getting worse? Of course I think they're getting worse. I'm not an idiot. You know, you think about the things you might have been afraid of when you were in school, and then think about the things that you have to be afraid of today if you were in school. I never, ever, ever ran across a kid that had a handgun in school. I never knew anyone when I was in high school that had been raped. Anyone, personally, that had been a victim of incest. And, th- and then you look at, at a society. You know, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. We don't often think about uh, the impact of corruption on global economics. But basically, the reason we're in the situation we're in right now is because of worldwide greed. It's just, it's just as simple as that. It's bankers who are taking huge risks, making very risky loans, and now their banks are folding. Japan has a trillion dollar debt in bad loans. Our savings and loan, you remember that debacle in the 80s, I think it was, was $150 million. And we thought that was bad. Well, maybe it was a billion. I forget. I saw it the other night on the news. But a trillion dollars is unbelievable. All because of greed, bad financial decisions, affected by, not logic, but affected by the desire for ungodly financial gains. We see what's going on in Kosovo. You know, what's going on right now? The tremendous persecution there of people. The slaughter of people. We see it all over the world. We see mothers and fathers hurting their young, killing their young. We see it, we see a country that's really out of control. I mean, just out of control. And ever, you know, I was... I won't say this. Forget it. Anyway... The Bible tells us simply that the human condition is broken and rotten through and through. That we are rebels against God. We are rebels. All right? Every man, woman, and child in the world is a rebel against the one true God. And that's Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that the only way we can change human condition is for every person to be born again. Now, why does that make a difference? That's asking me what the difference would be if we could take every dog and turn him into a human being. You know, a dog's just going to live like a dog. It acts like a dog. You can train the dog, still a dog. Or even yet, a wild animal still a wild animal. You can try to tame them, teach them some behavior modification, but at any time, they can strike and rip your head off. But, but we are crueler than animals. Human beings are crueler than animals, and the only Thing that can change human nature is when we get the divine nature and the only way we get a divine nature is by acknowledging we've sinned before God and we need His Savior, Jesus Christ and He moves into our life and at that moment we're reborn and now we have a divine nature in us and we have the potential to be loving and kind. The Bible tells us in Galatians if you want to go there for a moment 
You're probably wondering why I'm sharing all this. This is going somewhere. Trust me. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. It says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and the like. You know, I, I read an editorial today in the paper. I thought it was very good, written by a woman, which I thought made it even better. But in our society, in the last ten years, particularly the last four, it's been very popular to make men look like we are aggressive beasts and all we do is beat women. But in a recent report, and it's the most extensive report on domestic violence, you know what it found? It found that men and women both equally abuse one another in relationships. And women are just as likely to kick, bite, hit, throw things as men. And this woman was writing how, you know, we don't help the, help the problem here by blaming it all on men because then we don't help the ladies that need help. We are, bottom line, all of us, affected by sin. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. We are repulsive beings without Christ. We are repulsive. But now look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, if we could get half of the Arab community in Palestine along with the little guy with his little hat on all the time, Yasser Arafat, and Benjamin Netanyahu, and half of Israel to embrace Jesus Christ, do you know what would happen? Well, there would be peace there. There would be a willingness for peace. The fruit of God is peace. The fruit of the flesh is dissension. And we have it everywhere around the world. We have it in America and all over the world. You see, if we, if we could make an impact, each of us, on as many people possible, that means we are making a wonderful contribution to bringing about greater peace, greater love, greater earthly utopia will never bring heaven on earth. That won't happen. But the more people that come to know Jesus Christ, the better the world is. The better children will be taken care of. The better women will be treated. The better men will be treated. And on and on and on and on it goes. That makes, simply, the single most important and critical issue that faces us in the next hundred years, as long as we all live, is getting Jesus Christ in as many people as we can. People have often asked me, oh, Mark, do you believe in social action? Yes, I do. But I believe spiritual action is more important. Because when I get the Holy Spirit into a person, I can turn a lazy deadbeat into a productive human being. When I can get the Holy Spirit in an individual, I can get an individual who was abusive or addicted to drugs or alcohol or very negligent of their own person. I can get them to develop in the area of discipline and character and faithfulness and their life can change. 
So I don't think there's anything wrong with helping to feed people or helping to clothe people. But just make sure you're not giving them a can of soup on their way to hell. Just make sure you're not putting a coat on them before they die and go to hell. And just remember that if you want the world to share all of its resources with other people, then give them the Holy Spirit. And He will put in them a great desire to care for others. Now, we ought to be doing both. We ought to be people who share and care with others. And we ought to be involved even with a neighbor or with a friend that we're reaching out to. The only way the world's going to be a better place, brother and sister, is if the Holy Spirit invades millions and millions of lives. Until that time, realize that there's just going to be greater and greater and greater and greater pain in our world. Now, the reason I share all that with you is because I, I want to give you the reason, the purpose for being an impact player. That is the purpose that we want to become impact players in the kingdom of God. We want to be people who make a difference in our workplace, a difference in our home. Let's just talk for a moment about the people that you might affect, and then we're going to cover the topic for tonight. First of all, most of you in this room are going to get married. Some will not, but most will. Many in here already are. You have in your extended family in-laws and family members, aunts and uncles. Most of you will probably have children, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three, maybe five. Who knows how many? Now, you bring those babies into the world, they are a sacred trust from God. They either become God's children or they stay children of the devil. That's what the Bible says, actually. Jesus told the Jews, you're of your father, the devil. Because they didn't believe in Christ. You either raise them to be upright, moral, godly, wonderful examples of Christianity, or, let's just be frank, they bring shame to Christ. There is no neutrality. There is no neutral ground. Either people go, wow, that's quite an amazing child. Or they go, gee, I don't really, really, really like being around that kid. I've never met a neutral human being in my life. Either the, either the person is doing something positive or they're doing something. Jesus said you either scatter or you gather. So, so you've got that realm of, of influence. And then you've got your job. Every day you go to the workplace. Uh, or a, a mom's group or you know other moms in the neighborhood or maybe you, you both work. So now, yeah, you've got even more influence there. But what are you doing with the influence? And are you an influence for good or are you an influence for bad? Are you an individual that others respect and look up to and think, my goodness, you know, they have something going on? Or are you an individual that really doesn't give anybody any more reasons to believe and embrace the Christian message than anyone else? I'm, I'm very passionate about this, and I'll tell you why. We have a humongous credibility problem with Christianity in the United States. Humongous. Like, like so bad that if we were a business, we'd already be bankrupt a thousand times over. We'd be bankrupt. The vast majority of Christians in America, according to statistical data, are not even recognizable in their lifestyle as Christians. They're not even recognizable in their attitudes and habits as Christians. That's a travesty. 
Now, I can't affect the whole Christian world. I, I wish I could. I wish I had a voice to talk to them. But I can talk to those that I have an impact with. And I want to light a fire under you to realize that it doesn't take that much to be a light in so much darkness. But it does take something. It does take a commitment. It does take a willingness to say, you know, Lord, here I am, doggone, and I'm sick of playing games, and I'm sick of messing around, and I'm not going to mess around. I'm going to grow. I'm going to improve. I'm going to make every effort to add to my faith moral excellence to my moral excellence, brotherly love. I want to make a difference in the world. You see, we influence people the way we live our lives. We influence people the way we speak. We influence people by what we laugh about and what we don't laugh about. We influence people by our considerateness, by our kindness, by the depth of our character. And brother and sister, please, please don't get caught up in all the political craziness going on today. Character does matter. The Bible makes that very clear. And you better believe that on your job, you're the laughing stock when you talk about your religion, but your character stinks. On the job, everybody knows that integrity matters. Everybody knows that. Moral purity matters. Everybody knows that. Honesty with your money matters. Everybody knows that. Hey, if character didn't matter, then Mike Tyson should be given his license right now. Let the guy go. Don't buy in to the things that you see going on in your society. Keep your nose in the book, and when you look out at the world, you have a clear perspective of the stupid games that are being played. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about this topic. An impact player knows that without love, they are nothing. Okay, you might have all the other qualities that we've talked about so far. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, I'm share with you a little personal story. I, <clears throat> I was reading this many years ago. In fact, I go over this very regularly. <clears throat> and um, this passage is very striking to me. Very striking because it says something that most people including myself, in younger years, I didn't want to believe. In our society, the way society is designed, I'll use an example. Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor will be elected to the Hall of Fame. Lawrence Taylor regularly beat his wife. He was regularly before the judge because of it. and usually pleaded no contest because it was no contest. He was guilty. He'll still be elected to the Hall of Fame. You can have all kinds of skills. You know, Michael Milken, junk bond salesman, went to prison. Now he's out writing books, making money. In our society, all you need is skills to succeed. You can lie, you can cheat, you can deceive. In the Christian community, in the Christian community, we have adopted a mentality very similar to the world. We expect a little higher standard of integrity, just a little. But the bottom line is, 
if you have a lot of knowledge, and people look up to you. If you can communicate halfway decent, if you can get yourself on television, if you can rant and rave good enough, people must think people think you're something. If you can sing really nice Christian songs, doesn't matter if you're having an affair with the roadies that you're traveling with. And I can tell you some stories and name names, and I won't. Doesn't matter, just so long as you sell albums. Well, let me tell you something. What the world thinks and what the Christian community think doesn't matter squat. All that matters is what God says and what God's perspective is. And here's the bottom line. If I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, I, we're just so incredibly eloquent, and you just hold the masses, and they eat in the palm of your hand and sit on the edges of their seat. But you don't know how to love, and I'm going to get into what that means in a moment. You're just an obnoxious noise to God as far as God is concerned. It is an obnoxious noise. If you have the gift of prophecy, you can understand all mysteries and knowledge. And if you have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, you're nothing. <clears throat> you think about that for a moment. If you knew the future, you understood all the mysteries, you had a lot of knowledge, and look at this, and you had faith that it would move mountains. Faith that would move a mountain. But you didn't have love. You're nothing. And if you were very sacrificial and you gave everything you had to the poor but you didn't have love, you had nothing. Now, how do you read this? How do you read this? Here's how you'd read it. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels but I'm not patient, consistently kind, consistently not envious, I don't boast, I'm not proud, I'm not rude, I'm not self-seeking, I'm, I'm not easily angered and I don't keep record of wrongs that people have done me or are doing me. I don't delight in evil, but I rejoice in the truth. I always look to protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. If those qualities, all of them, are not growing in your life, you're not a loving person. You're not a loving person. And do you know where the real test is? And this is what many years ago God used to just kind of knock me on my behind. Now, I'll be very honest with you. I could love everybody in my life but my wife. Everybody in the world is easy. Easy compared to my wife. I'll explain what I mean. I don't mean that Kathy is a hard woman to love in every era of our lives or at that time, specifically at that time. What I'm saying is that I let myself go at home. I just worried about what other people saw. Somebody called you on the phone and they wanted your advice. Oh, you'd be understanding. If someone needed something done, maybe they needed a flat tire change or they needed to serve in some way. Boy, I was there, Johnny on the spot. But after a long day at work and the wife says, Sweetheart, did you help me this? Did you help me with that? No, I'm tired. I don't feel like it. Do it yourself. Especially if we'd had a fight before I left that day. And we had them regularly. And I remembered every wrong that Kathy did. And you know what? I was real good at telling her about it. I was easily irritated. Maybe for you it's your kids. It's either one. The point I'm getting at is the people you live with, 
That's where we find out who you really are. Who you really are is the people you live with. That's who you really are. Not the people at work. Not your best friend. But the people you live with. That's the test. That's the challenge. And unless men and women, we develop in these characteristics in our lives, we'll never be an impact player. We'll never be an impact player. God wants to touch the most personal areas of your life. The most personal. For me, God got very personal. Once I got married, I began to realize, wow, there are areas in my life that I didn't know about when I was single. I really didn't. I didn't realize, for example, how self-seeking I would become once I was married in my physical relationship with my wife. And, and I wouldn't have dreamed of having a smile on my face and being pleasant if Kathy would have said to me, you know, Mark, I really don't feel like having sex for the next two weeks. Not only would I have gone through the roof, I did go through the roof. I, would, I wouldn't have tolerated that. I would have made her feel this small. I wouldn't have said, well, you know, sweetheart, you know, really, I live for one reason besides my love for Christ, and that's for your benefit. For your benefit. Your interests are more important than mine. I, I thought that that's what I wanted, and I thought that's what I would do, but I didn't. I had another reality. Or, you know, I didn't realize... There were some things about Kathy I didn't realize before we got married. One of them that I didn't realize is she's considerably slower than I am. Now, I want to explain what I mean. No, I don't mean she's dumb, retarded. It's not what I mean. I mean, she processes things, processes things a lot different than I do. I make decisions pretty rapidly. I'm pretty decisive. I see the whole picture really fast. And usually come up with a plan of action in about three minutes. Kathy, on the other hand, likes to process things for hours, sometimes days, and it really bugs me. I, I can say honestly and thankfully that I've, I've calmed down considerably in 20 years of marriage. I've calmed down. I've learned to chill out. I've learned to suppress pathetic flesh that's in me regularly, not perfectly and just say well, okay sweetheart, what well, you think about it I've learned to say things different than when we first got married I've learned how to uh, <clears throat> seek her interests I remember one particular time coming home from, <clears throat> from work and I was really tired and this was many, many, many years ago <clears throat> Kathy was bearing an awful lot of responsibility at home because I was gone, uh, you know, between 70 and 80 hours a week. And, uh, and I was tired. And she asked me to do something with the kids. I had about an hour. I'd, I'd eat, and th- there was an hour, and in that time I'd eat and lay down and then get changed and head off to my next job. And I, and I didn't want to do it. I, I was really mad and thought she was being really insensitive for even asking. And I remember just sitting on the couch and all these words were starting to come to my mouth. 
well, to my brain first. Sometimes they miss my brain, go to my mouth. And, um, and then all of a sudden I heard God. Said, he said to me, you know, Mark, if, if you, do, you want to be a pastor, don't you, Mark? Yeah, yeah, Lord. Sure. Where does this come from, God? And I'm right in the middle of, 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 of rage here. Well, here's my point, Mark. A pastor is a servant of people. Isn't that right? Well, yeah, and you know, Lord, I'm that. No, you're not. If you won't get up right now when you're tired and serve your wife by serving your kids, then I can never trust you with the church. Well, needless to say, that got me off the couch. <laughs> I got the message. I really got the message. I realized, my gosh, Mark, you're such a hypocrite. You are such a hypocrite. You talk these lofty things. Everybody thinks you're so wonderful. You get up and sing in front of people. You share this stuff. But you come home and there's a huge disparity between what you say and how you carry out your day-to-day life. Now change this. So, I went about the process of change. And, uh, and I'm going to give you some ideas, and I'd be the first one to tell you that it's not easy. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, if you want to write it down, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and live a life of love just as Christ also loved us. Um, the first thing that hits me about that passage, and that God used in that passage, was that Imitation is not that difficult as long as you know who it is you're supposed to imitate. Secondly, if you know what they're like. And thirdly, if you hang around them long enough. If you were to be around my family, or anybody's family for that matter, but use mine for an example. If you were to be around my kids, it wouldn't take very long until you'd go, gee, your dad does some of those same inflections. Or your dad has those same mannerisms or you have the mannerisms of your mother. You know what I'm saying? There's been things that I've seen my children do over the years and I've kind of sat there and stroked my chin and thought, where did that come from? Where did they get that? I don't really remember ever proactively instructing them to do that. And then it just hit me, well, they're just copying what they've been around. They're just copying what they've been around. Do you understand that? It's not very difficult. Here's where it gets difficult for us. Number one, God is not here on the planet living with us. Okay, right? You follow me? God's not here on the planet. God is in heaven and God is in our heart. So, where do we gather a portrait of what God is like? Where do we grasp and begin to understand God's love for us? In the Bible in the Word of God. If you have a distorted view of God's love, you will love in a distorted way. If you have a distorted view of God's love, you will love others in a distorted way. The Bible says in 1 John, we love because He first loved us. You follow that? We love because He first loved us. Well, the first thing that happened to me <clears throat> and, and I remember this just like it was yesterday. I was sitting in my room and in this little study that I had in the basement and 
I was going over this, and, and I have to be honest, it was a very emotional thing. I just started to cry. Tears just welled up my eyes, and I realized, you know what, Lord? You, you've just put your finger on a very personal thing here and on the issue with me. I really don't understand your love. Quite frankly, if you were to ask me right at that time in my life, Mark, do you think God loves Billy Graham more or you, or do you think he loves you the same? Mark, do you think God would answer Billy Graham's prayers quicker than yours? I would have said, yes, of course he's going to answer Billy Graham's prayers before mine. And yes, of course, God loves Billy Graham more than he loves me. I genuinely believe that at the time. You know why I believe that? Because I began to realize that my whole Christian life, my walk with God, was based on how I performed. If I thought the day went pretty good, I thought God was pretty good with me. If I thought the day went pretty bad, I sensed that there's a, a wall between me and God. That is how I live my Christian life. Do you know what that did? It's exactly how I treated especially those closest to me. When my wife did well, I treated her better. When my wife didn't do very well, I treated her not very well. Do you follow me? I was just doing what the world does with all of us all the time. What have you done for me lately? When you've done something for me lately, you get a few extra strokes. You get a little bonus. When you fail, when your quota's not being met, you get pressure, don't you? You get yelled at. In fact, you might even get fired. God isn't like that. I did not know that. I genuinely did not know that. I thought that I would get God to love me more and be pleased with me more if I felt bad enough about my wrongs, if I confessed them enough, if I cried enough over them, and if I tried really hard to do better the next time. So I got to tell you, it was like dying and going to heaven when I got a hold of the tapes on the love of God and started listening to them at first I thought they were heresy and the only reason I continued listening to them is because they were done by a friend who I knew was an impact player and I knew he knew what he was talking about but if I didn't know that I'd have swore what I was hearing was heresy which means a lie a perversion of truth so I began to renew my mind with those tapes and I went over them and over them and over them and over them. For I first knew that I must change my view of God. I must change the way that I see God working with me. Now, why was that so important? Because I could not imitate someone I did not know. And I was already imitating someone I thought I knew. But I realized I didn't. And therefore, I was doing the wrong things in my behavior. Do you all understand that? Do you all understand that flow? That's very, very important to your Christian life. And I'd be willing to bet 10 bucks that most of you in this room have a very infinitesimal view of the love of God. The Bible says in Ephesians, Paul writes, I pray that your roots may go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love so that you might know how high, how wide, how deep is His love and somehow you might comprehend that love which is beyond comprehending and so be filled up to the full measure of God. The roots of your life are your thoughts. The roots of your life are your thoughts. I can honestly say to you that now, 
after, after training myself in this way for about the last uh, 16 years, rarely, rarely, rarely am I ever discouraged with me. Rarely, and I mean rarely, am I ever bummed out that I blew it. Because I realize it just doesn't matter to God. He loves me the same. And and here's the deal. Okay, this is very important. I maybe have shared this with you before. Some of this you maybe heard. Some of you maybe never heard this before. So bear with me. I only have had one life. I only have so many stories. I'm sorry. Um, that's why I'm glad you got lots of other pastors here and you can hear their stories and not be bored with mine. Um, <clears throat> there have been times standing up in front of people when you're going you're gonna to share the Word of God is an awful lot of pressure and, and there's a spiritual war that goes on because this is spiritual work. You have pressure too when you go to work every day and you're trying to live for Christ. It's a spiritual battle that goes on. But I can't tell you the times, it's not been thousands, but it's been many, where I've had to go leave for a conference or go do a conference uh, and my wife's coming with me or go to speak on a sunny morning and some massive tension comes between Kathy and I just about an hour or 30 minutes before I'm going to go. And I'm talking so massive that emotionally, emotionally, it hits you and sucks the life out of you and you'd like to just call in and go, I really can't show up today. Now, as a young man, newly married, I did those kind of things. Man, I'm telling you, nothing can take the wind out of your sails than the harshness that can go on between a married couple. It can just knock you silly. And, 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 and you just feel like what you can feel like. You know you've got to keep going on in life, but you can feel like Why don't we just get divorced? <laughs> this is just insane. And then, well, I'm being very calm right now about it, okay? And you have all these things that are going on inside of you. And it can be all this hate that you're feeling and all the hurt that you feel. And you feeling misunderstood. And you feel like, this is pathetic. You should have grown. You know, you've got all kinds of excuses. <clears throat> I have learned. I have learned how. How. To take that kind of stuff Receive it, look at my wife, stay calm, get in my car, from the car drive to here, which is 10 minutes, pray and say, you know what, Lord? I don't deserve you to bless me today, you know that, but you know what? I expect you to bless me. Because of who you are, and not because of who I am. And I want to thank you today, that even if Kathy at this moment doesn't love me, you do. You do. And when I say that, I mean Kathy doesn't feel love for me. She'll stick with me, bless her heart. This hasn't been that easy. But but thank you, Lord, you love me. And I drive and I get out of that car full of courage and full of faith and walk on that stage and stand and deliver. And go home. Sometimes maybe you didn't have a chance to get it worked out. I just, home, sweetheart. Sorry about this morning. I didn't mean to offend you. Uh, it's obvious I did. Would you forgive me? 
sometimes I just do it before I go if I have time. But sometimes it's, you know, the, the spouse doesn't want to talk. <laughs> now, I know none of you, your marriages have ever been like that at all, so I probably should go into therapy or something because I'm the only one. But I'm, I'm trying to help you understand a real-life principle here, brother and sister. If our Christianity is not good in the worst of times, then it's not good at all. The Bible makes it very clear in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that there is therefore now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me explain to you how these dynamic principles that I have in my relationship with God have affected me with Kathy. With Kathy. No one can get to me like Kathy. Both in a good way and in a bad way. First of all, I've learned to overlook the ugliest of sin without batting an eye and take it right on the chin. You know what? I just, I'm just going to take care and get get spewed upon and vomited upon. We vomited on each other, by the way. I just, I'm not putting this on Kathy. I'm only saying this because she's the other one in the relationship. Understand? And just take it and take that invisible towel and wipe my face off and fix my hair again and, and listen and try to look for the grain of truth that's probably in what she's saying or in her frustration. Sometimes I don't even understand. Thought, we thought about doing a Men on a Mission sometime, guys, called Understanding the Women in Your Life. Boy, there's times I just wished I, I understood more. I, I just wished I could get it. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> don't hit those guys out there. You stopped that. I saw that. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing you. You go ahead and smack him. He probably deserves it. And, um, and I've learned, I've learned that the meek, the meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit a great marriage and enjoy plenty of peace. And the meek means to endure injustice and injury with great patience and without resentment. And I endure it. Just like God endures me. I just copy God. That's my point. I just copy Dad. Dad does it with me. I'm going to do it with her. That's all there is to it. I don't demand restitution. And I can demand an apology. I'm going to forgive as the Lord forgave me. Ephesians says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord with all gentleness and humility and make allowance for one another's faults because of your love. Do you make allowance for others? Most of us don't. We walk out of the other room. We demand emotional restitution. Why? I carry in my pocket all the time. And I'm speaking now allegorically. Allowance for the wrongs that are done to me in a myriad of relationships. They happen, they happen, they happen. I have, and I mean this honestly, I have rarely, rarely in my relationships with people had people ever come back and say, you know what, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? And you know what? I don't worry about it. I don't care. God does not demand of me in order for Him to forgive me that I ask Him for it. It's already given. And I give it out. Especially in those intimate relationships of the family. You might as well understand, brother and sister, that you're going to get walked on, you're going to get hurt, you're going to be taken advantage of. 
If you don't get that, you haven't studied the four Gospels very much. You think that you're going to get better treatment than God? Have, do you actually think that your spouse, just because they have God in them, is going to treat you better than Jesus was treated? I mean, there are days you're going to be honored and respected, and there are days you're going to be sliced and diced. Now, how you respond, that will show us the quality of love in your life. That will show us your understanding of this theology. So I decided a long time ago, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, make love your greatest ambition. You've got you to decide in life priorities. So I decided 16 years ago, this is going to be the biggest priority of my life. It needs to be, quite frankly. I want it to be. I want to become the most loving person anybody's ever met. Now, I'm a long ways from that. But I'm just saying, that's what I'm aiming at. I want to be the most patient. I want to endure the most hostility. I want to be the least self-seeking. Um, you know, I need to grow in my humility. I want to grow in it. I want to grow in all these things. And I've told it to my children and to my wife and to friends that are close to me. I said, look, you know, I realize that I'm not like Christ. I'm very encouraged where the Lord's brought me, okay? I always operate from an encouraged base. And I want you to, too. God wants you to. I'm very encouraged where He's brought all of you. You are all so different than when you came to know Him, aren't you? See, you're so much different. But are you like Jesus yet? Well, of course not. Neither am I. But God's not upset about that. He's encouraged about the process, but we can expedite the process. That means we can speed it up. We can speed the process up by honesty, humility, and obedience, and by proactively setting out to become a more loving individual. So, there are practical things that I've sought to do in my life, my relationship with Kathy um, and my children, which are always... uh, tests. I'd be the first one to admit that it's very easy for me to be self-seeking. Uh, and a little example happened today. And this is, I believe, self-seeking, although some of you may not think so. Um, my daughter, she got a job the other day. Really excited. We've been praying for it. So the call finally came. She got this job. She, the other day she saw this fleece-like coat. She thought it was really cool. She wanted to get it. So, I mean, so she was going to buy it. So I came home the other day after she told me, and I said, uh, Celeste, I said, I, I want you to know something. I, I want to, and I whispered in her ear, I said, you get that, I'll pay for it. I'm really proud of you for persevering with this job. I'm very encouraged by the kind of young lady you are, and, uh, and I just want to give, give you as, as a gift. Gee, great, Dad. Thank you. That, that's really nice. Now, you know, my daughter uh, has served me in a myriads of ways. And then, you know, I got up real early this morning and I got lots of things to do getting ready for this trip and I went and took their car and filled it with gas and I checked the oil for them and I checked the tires and all occasionally I pick out the trash or the back seat for them. And to be blunt, there's a ton of things I do for my kids and my family that no one ever says thank you for and no one even knows. So I asked my daughter, uh, I said, say, Celeste, I said, I got about 15 things here before I go on this trip, could you iron it for me? Now, I know how to use an iron as good as anybody in the family, and usually I iron all my own things before I go on these trips, but I, was, I had a lot of things. She wasn't too excited about that today. 
she didn't rant and rave. She just kind of paused and, Dad, I, I got a lot going on today. I'm thinking, yeah, like what? <laughs> you know, you start work Monday. I'm thinking all these things, you know. And um, and so you know what you know what I wanted to do? I, I wanted to educate her. I wanted to uh, I wanted to lecture. Because you know what was going on inside of me, to be real honest? Now, as a parent, though, here's where we get in trouble. We think, well, wait a minute, Mark. She was being very unappreciative. You should have given her a lecture. No, what was really going on was I went in my own way. I went in my clothes iron. I wanted it done. And I didn't want to have to do it today because it bothers my back. And I didn't want it to bother me because I'm going to have to sit on a plane six hours tomorrow. And I just, I wanted her to do it. And God hit me with that. He said, you know, Mark, it's really about selfishness here, Mark. Now, now, yes, your daughter may need to learn something. And yes, her attitude could have been better. So I said, well, you know, all right, sweetheart. If you can get to it, fine. Otherwise, then whatever. And I left. And that was pretty good for me. I didn't handle it as well as actually as I should have. I should have handled it better. Now, there wouldn't have also been anything wrong for me to say, you know, sweetheart, um, I love you. I really expect you to have a better attitude about these things. You know, we're a team, and I need your help. And I put a roof over your head and food in your stomach, and gas in your car, and clothes on your back. And this really isn't too much to ask. I'm not saying that's not ever appropriate. I'm just saying that God, he was working on me. He's working on me. And then, of course, as the day went on, everybody was gone, helter-skelter. You know, I, I always am mindful when I go on these trips, I may never see my family again. But nobody had any time today. Well, my, my wife and I got to go to a lunch, a brief lunch. My son, he was off here. My daughter was off here. My other son and daughter were off here. And then, and then they won't get home until really tonight. And I got to be up at 3.30 in the morning to get to a plane. And it's real easy if you're like me. Maybe you're not like me at all. But for me, it's real easy, especially when I was young, to sit in a chair, put my hand on the desk, think, this sucks. No, nobody, nobody, nobody cares about me. No, nobody looks out for me. I spend my whole life doing for everybody else and nobody looks out for me. When is the last time one of my family came up and said, you know, Dad, you're just the neatest. I really appreciate everything you do. I can't remember the last time. I don't know about you, but you know what? I love pity parties. I, is anybody else, and, and you nod your head, you know, just want to know if you're awake out there. It's easy to do that, isn't it? You know the number one reason Americans change jobs? Because they don't feel appreciated at work. Number one reason people leave marriages? They don't feel appreciated by their spouse. Why? Because that's how selfish we are. Have you ever thought about how, how unappreciated God is? Next time you need a little comfort, just think about how ignored God is by you and me. He never gets in your face about it. He still keeps loving you. You see, the Lord is the perfect mentor for all behaviors that he wants to build in our lives. He's the perfect mentor. So what I try to do is I try to think every day, what would be good for my wife? What would be good? And there are practical things I have done, by the way, uh, in fact, for about three or four years, I've slept on the couch because it's good for my wife. And I sleep on the couch because I have terrible sinuses. They keep her awake. She has a bad back. I toss and turn. I get up at least 
four times a night to go to the bathroom. It's very disruptive for her sleep because of her health. I'm not saying we're not ever intimate. Just in case you were wondering out there, some of you are going, well, the darling's got a problem here. Okay, let's just clear that up right now, okay? What I'm saying to you is that I will sacrifice whatever I need to do for the sake of my wife. And that is a fact. Backed up by actions. By actions. Okay? That's a fact. With my children, I try to think, well, what would be good for them? What would be beneficial for them? Not, what do I want? What's for my convenience? You must train yourself to think in terms of others. Because it does not come naturally. Okay, it just doesn't come naturally. We must train ourselves to think in terms of others. Now, some of you may think, well, Mark, I've always kind of been an others-oriented person. Let me tell you why. If it was before you had the Lord, it was only because of the positive strokes you got for being others-oriented. But it was self-motivated nonetheless. We like the praise we got for always thinking about other people. The person who is loving like God does not do it for the praise they receive. They do it because it honors their Heavenly Father. They do it because God has asked them to do it for no other reason. And no one ever said to you, hey, thank you. And no one ever said, you know what? I really love you. That really meant a lot to me. You do it anyway. Because you know what? Now listen to this carefully. The Lord, He does see it all. Every little thing that you do for your spouse, every little thing you've done for your children, every little thing you've done for a roommate or a friend, God sees it all and He's going to reward you for it. And then, and then, He's going to stand you on the podium of eternity and brag about you. And everybody's going to know it. Everybody's going to know it. There's nothing wrong with that. I live for that day. I'm excited about that day. I'm working hard for that day. But now, get used to being ignored. Love does not think in those terms. Love thinks what would be best for others. Love sacrifices self. Love lays its life down for others. God, you know what? Imagine if we all went home and started doing that tonight. be a lot less marriage problems in a week, wouldn't there? There'd be a lot less roommate tension in a week, wouldn't there? You know, if your roommate said, hey, you know, uh, could you like have the TV off by 9.30 because from where my room is, the angle of it, it's, it's really, it bothers my eyes. Who do you think you are? I pay half the rent around here. I mean, it's the only time I get to relax. Wouldn't it be great if someone finally just said, well, okay, I'll just get earplugs and a thing over my eyes at night. That's fine. There's power there. There's power there. When we start loving people like that, it changes their lives. When we reach out and we believe in other people, it changes their lives. When we step out and accept others the way they are and seek to encourage them, it changes their lives. And you become an impact player. You make an impact, an impact on other people. But if you never develop these habits, you make an impact on no one. Let's pray. Next week we'll finish this up, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you tonight that you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you tonight that nothing keeps your love from us. Thank you tonight, Heavenly Father, that there isn't any condemnation for any of us because of Christ. It's all about Christ. From beginning to end, it's all about Christ. 
Now, Lord, I just ask you tonight that you'd put in us a real desire, a real determination, and a personal commitment to stop with the excuses and stop thinking, you know, you just don't understand the person I'm married to and realize, you know what, Lord, you want to change our lives. You want us to be different, and we can be. Help us now to go do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen.